This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Actually, I thought it was—I forgot it was actually Tuesday. The long weekend. Thought it was Monday morning, and at last second, I said, "Oh yeah, wait a minute." Uh, we got lots to talk about this morning. Uh, Red Sox were an absolute disaster yesterday. We'll get to that in a bit, but we've got some. Uh, let's start. Let's start with some good news because uh, certainly uh, some of the stuff we're going to talk about this morning not exactly pleasant. Um, but uh, the NCAA baseball tournament begins this week, and uh, the state of Connecticut has three teams headed to the NCAA baseball tournament, which is pretty cool. I worked the Division Three tournament over the weekend, the uh, regional here up in the Northeast. Uh, that was won by Wheaton College uh, from Massachusetts. Uh, a lot of fun, just ridiculously bad weather, but uh, they managed to get it done. It was supposed to be over uh, on Sunday morning, but because of rain, it didn't finish until uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, but anyway, UConn is headed to the NCAA Regional in South Bend, Indiana. They are the number two seed in the South Bend Regional. They will take on number three seed Michigan, uh, on Friday at 7 o'clock. Uh, the other two teams in that region, of course, Notre Dame is the number one seed, and Central Michigan is the four seed. It's double elimination. Uh, UConn got off to a slow start, but a lot of that was because of scheduling. Uh, Tom Pedersen, <coughs> excuse me, had a really uh, tough schedule. They ended up 33-17, and 17, and they are on a roll as uh, they head to South Bend. This Michigan team, they didn't play them this year, but they played them back in 2020 just before the pandemic hit. And UConn won three of the four games that they played against Michigan last year. Uh, hopefully that will follow through for this year. Uh, the other two teams getting in, Fairfield University, 37-3 and this year in the MAC, But they lost in their conference tournament, and they got an at-large bid, which, you know, this is it's pretty rare that a mid-major team like Fairfield gets an at-large bid. And what, what do we mean by mid-major? Well, you know, in other words, not one of the big power schools. You know, that that's what they call them, you know, same thing in football or basketball. Mid-major would be like a Fairfield, a Central Connecticut. Uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, when they beat Virginia as the number one seed, they were a mid-major program. Uh, you know, uh, Marshall would have been uh, considered a mid-major program in a lot of sports. So those are the kinds of teams I'm talking about, not the big powers like Alabama and Michigan and, you know, Clemson and all those schools we talk about so often. Um, so it's very rare that a mid-major program gets in that large bit, but they did with a 37-3 and record, and it's even more amazing considering the fact Fairfield did not play a game outside their conference all year. Because of COVID, all 40 of their games were in conference play, so uh, good for them. Uh, so they are heading out to the Texas Regional, where the University of Texas is the number one seed. 
Uh, but they are going to be the three seed, and they will take on Arizona State in the Texas Regional Friday at 7 o'clock. And the other team to get in is Central Connecticut State University. Uh, old friend of mine, uh, Charlie Hickey. Uh, i uh, also friends with his brother, JJ, and I do some broadcasting together. I worked at Central Connecticut uh, when they went to the first regional with Charlie Hickey as the coach back in uh, 2002. They went to the Texas regional. I was the, uh, the assistant athletic director at the time and went to that regional with them. Uh, they are making their, I believe it's their seventh trip to the NCAA tournament with uh, Coach Hickey. Uh, so they will take on Oregon. They are going out to Eugene, Oregon, Oregon, the number one seed in that regional, and they will play that game. It'll be Friday at 5 o'clock. So good news uh, for the state of Connecticut. Got to love it. And there's a lot of Connecticut players, too. I mean, you look at Central Connecticut, 29 of their players are from this state. Um, UConn has 17 from this state, and Fairfield has 14. You know, and Connecticut, not necessarily known as a hotbed of baseball, but when you have, you know, obviously over the years it's gotten better and better. We've had, you know, players like George Springer, uh, you know, that, that is probably the standard bearer for Connecticut players at this time. Charlie Morton went to high school in Connecticut. We, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, players from this state that have made it, but uh, recently the level of play in this state has gotten better and better and better. So uh, that's great news. Uh, all right, so we go from the good news to the not good news, and that is what is going on in the NBA right now with fan behavior. It is out of control. Now, I'm sure by now everybody has seen the video uh, that happened in Game 4 of the series between the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets uh, when a bullet head threw a water bottle from the stands that just missed Kyrie Irving's head. Um, kid, a 21-year-old kid uh, was probably half in the bag. I'm thinking mostly in the bag. Uh, and, you know, but that's just one of many incidents that we have had over the last few weeks. Uh, there was another one last night where we had a fan in the Philadelphia 76ers game run out onto the floor. Uh, we had a fan dump popcorn on top of another player's head. I mean, it's gotten, uh, out of control. And so the question, you know, is the following. Is this just kind of a, I want to say a, an outlier and people are just have forgotten how to behave themselves because of the pandemic, you know, uh, all this time sitting at home yelling at your television and you forget that you're no longer in front of your television. You're actually in the stands and that kind of language and that kind of behavior is not acceptable. Um, is it that? Or is it a bigger problem with what's going on in society? And, and my first inclination is that this is a carryover from the behavior that we started seeing around this country when Donald Trump was our president. And now I'm not laying this at Donald Trump's feet, although there, you know, there is a part of this that you could say is a byproduct of his presidency, and that is the the boorish behavior, the rude talk, the outlandish statements, uh, the pitting one side against the other thing. Uh, you know, 
we have never had such a polarized country as we have right now. And that is partially his responsibility. Um, you know, and it's not just basketball. Look what's going on in airlines right now. We have more incidents since we started flying again with flight attendants getting assaulted, for God's sake. A woman, a flight attendant from Southwest Airlines had two, two teeth knocked out because she got punched by a woman when she told her she had to put her mask on and put her seatbelt on. You know, um, excuse me. And it's to the point where uh, some of the airlines are saying, you know what? We're not going to serve alcohol right now. <laughs> you know, things are bad enough. The last thing we need to do is introduce alcohol. And that's part of the problem when you go, you know, to a basketball game. They're serving booze. These people have forgotten how to be human beings. And you put some, you put a couple of pops in them and they lose their minds. Now, I there is no excuse for what happened in Boston. You know, when Kyrie Irving tried to make, before he ever got there, he was going to turn this into a racial thing, okay? This, to me, had nothing to do with Kyrie Irving's race. Now, you can't ignore racism, and I'm not saying it doesn't exist because it certainly does, and, and I'm not saying that some of this could have been a product of this. My guess, though, is that this kid is, was just a drunk moron. They, they had a picture of him in the, in the Boston Globe sitting in the stands, as the security's approaching him, he's sitting in the stands just like kind of typing on his phone, like tweeting something out, like look completely oblivious. When they're hauling him away, he looks stunned like, what did I do? You know, and he's been charged with uh, assault <laughs> with a dangerous weapon, a water bottle. You know, but they've got to do, and he'll get a ban for life. He'll never be allowed back in TD Garden, although I'm not sure how you stop that. He could get back in. Uh, you just can't buy the tickets in his name. But regardless... Um, you know, he's going to get a ban and he's probably going to get a hefty fine. I don't think he'll get jail time for this, but he'll get a fine and he'll be on probation for a little while. And, um, you know, he'll probably have to go to some substance abuse class or, uh, you know, an, an alcohol awareness class or something. But this isn't, this was not, in my opinion, about race. And, and, and you have to put some of the blame on this. And again, there's no excuse for what was done. But Kyrie Irving exacerbated this situation. Why? Because what he did at the end of this game was inexcusable, classless, and asking for trouble, almost daring somebody to call you out on what you just did. They just ended up winning the game. They won the game by 15 points. And what does Kyrie Irving do at the end of the game? He walks out to center court and stomps on the head of the Celtic logo and, like, wipes his sneakers as if he's wiping dog crap off his shoes. So you're just asking for trouble. There was no reason to do that. You know, we've seen it happen in football games where, you know, they go out there and they purposely stomp on the other team's logo. It's just, it's disrespect for your opponent. It's disrespect for the city. It's disrespect for the fans. And you are just asking for it. Now, having said that, what this kid did was wrong, should not have happened, but Kyrie Irving wanted it to happen. He was begging for it to happen because what happened at the end of the uh, at the end, all he did in his post game press conference was talk about. See, I told you, I told you, 
This is a racist city. It's the worst city ever. I told you. You know, and here's the thing. You know, they had played two games in Boston. The fans had been on their best behavior. Sure, they booed them. Absolutely. Now, did they get over the top with some of their comments? Yeah, you know, when you're yelling F you, Kyrie, when there's kids in the stands right near you, that's wrong. You know, it's over the top. No question about that. But but were there, you know, racial things thrown at him? Were people dropping the end bomb? No. You know, it, they were brutal on him as they should have been. He quit on this team when he was here. You know, he went from saying, I'm going to be here for life to bailing and basically quitting on him in the middle of a playoff series. So the fans have the right to be upset at him. They don't have the right to throw things at him. But there was no racial incidents going on. And even when this kid threw the water bottle, it wasn't like he yelled some, you know, racial racial epithet at him. They just he just was an idiot. But even Cedric Maxwell, who was the color commentator for the Celtics on the radio, was beside himself. He said, I couldn't believe that he did. He said, it had nothing to do with competition. You don't go wipe your feet on the logo. He said, it didn't matter if it was a white man, if it was a zebra, if it was a squirrel. I don't care what it was. It was just the fact that you didn't need to do that and bring attention to yourself. You played a great game. You won. What is the point? Like I said, Kyrie's a great player. Why the classless act? Amen. Kyrie wanted this to happen. Now, again, uh, you know, Kevin Garnett just went in the Hall of Fame, loves the Celtics. Even he, he went off on Kyrie on Twitter or on Instagram. You know, he said, we don't, you know, we don't do that. He said, that's not cool on any level. And he said, all of us need to be better. Amen. You know, if, if you want to, if you want to, if you're Kyrie and you come in there and you're like, I'm a racist city, hate this city, you know what? And you come in and you get booed and you walk out of there and, uh, you know, you don't stomp on the logo and you just walk out and say, hey, you know what? We beat your ass. You know, we're going to win this series. So good for you. You know, keep booing me. You know, if he had done that, that, you know, great. But he had to stomp on the logo. And I don't know that the kid throwing the water bottle was a direct uh, result of him stopping on that logo. There's no, uh, there was no indication the kid didn't say that he did. We haven't heard any comments from the kid, not that I necessarily want to. Uh, but if he's smart, if he's smart, his lawyer will get to him and say, hey, just tell him you are mad because he, he disrespected the logo and that Kyrie was asking for it. I mean, you know, if, they, if their lawyer is smart, they'll try that defense. It's not a defense, by the way. Uh, but, you know, they were so close to it just being over. Let Kyrie be an idiot. And we were so 99.9% .9 of the fans were great. You get one bullet head, and now all of a sudden, you know, it just carries on the Boston stereotype, not what the city of Boston needed. And as far as the NBA goes, I mean, we've had several incidents in the last few weeks of, of fans, you know, doing things like this, you know, I mean, jumping a, a, a bowl of popcorn on John Morant's head isn't going to be the end of the world and it's not, you know, going to hurt him, but it's disrespect and there's no reason for it. And was it, 
was it a racial thing or was it just a dumb fan? Who You know, I'm guessing most of the time it's not even racial. Look, most of the NBA are black players. It's not like, you know, you're going, you show up to a game and you're expecting to see 10 white guys and 10 black guys are there and you're like, huh? Everybody knows the players are black. It's not, it's not, you know, you root for a team and they've got black players. You're not, I mean, so I don't think most of this is racial. I think it's just stupidity. Yes, there's racial stuff. There's no question that some of the people that do this, it's racial. There's no doubt. But most of the time, it's not. Most of the time, it's just idiocy. And with what's going on in this country right now, with the left and the right, what's going on with the airlines, you know, what's going on around your block, you know, or what's going on around in your house where, you know, you have husbands and wives who can't agree on things and they're fighting with each other. I mean, it's just what it's what it's what society has become now. And it's not a healthy thing. And you can you can lay a lot of that at the feet of our past president and what the Republican Party is trying to do to this country right now. Look what's going on in the state of Texas. They're trying to limit voting. It got so bad that the Democrats walked out to make sure there wasn't a vote. So they wouldn't have a quorum and they couldn't vote. Now, the governor, you know, and and what are they doing? You know, most of the people that this is going to affect are black people. You know, one of the things uh, they're they're trying to limit, like, uh, hours that you can vote on a Sunday. You know, you can't vote on a Sunday morning. That's when a lot of black people go to vote. They go on their way to church. You know, and this is all part of the, you know, Donald Trump, we had the election stolen, so we got to tighten up the election laws. We got to make sure that we don't get it stolen again. Another translation, we got to make sure the black people can't vote for the Democrats. You know, and that's what's going on across this country. So I don't think that everything going on right now is, is, is racial in terms of fan behavior and people behavior. It's just polarization. You know, and it's a shame. And I'm not sure what the answer to that is. I, you know, and, and I have hope, or at least I had hope. I'm, I'm getting less and less optimistic that Joe Biden's uh, presidential demeanor and his calm demeanor would kind of help restore some normality to our country. But what we're finding is, is that the people that are on the right wing side that are on the Donald Trump side are not going to let that happen. The the Republicans in Congress are not going to let that happen. You know, they continue to give a platform to this guy, Matt Getz and Marjorie Taylor green. And I mean, if there is a dumber woman in the country than Marjorie Taylor green, I don't know who it is. And the fact that they allow, that she has a platform to spew some of the stuff that she does is amazing. But by the way, did you see what Matt gets it over the weekend? He put he uh, he put a thing out on Twitter, basically calling uh, with Lee Harvey Oswald's Marine photo as if Lee Harvey Oswald, <laughs> the, the the assassin, it was an American hero. You know, I mean, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. So. You know, look, the, the NBA is looking at its its fan code of conduct and said they're going to strenuously enforce it and that. You know, great. But there's only so much you can do. And if we're not careful, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go to a basketball game, and the court is going to be around a cage. 
the fans are going to be unable to get to anybody. They're going to have a cage all around the court so that nobody can throw anything, can do anything. You know, no objects can get through the fa- I'm telling you, if we're not careful, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be like something out of Mad Max. And that's what I'm worried about. Or it's going to be that, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. Fan capacity is going to be limited, and we're going to have the stands, you know, be, you know, 100 feet away from the court. So you can't sit anywhere near the court. There's not going to be any more courtside seats. There are not going to be people that are sitting, you know, within throwing distance. You know, they're going to move everybody back. You know, that's what we're in danger of here, folks, if we don't figure this out. You know, and, and, and there has to be some self-policing here. You know, if you're in the stands and you see a guy that's, you know, or that's, that's being, uh, that's cussing really loud or sounds violent or seems like he is out of control, you know, there's got to be some self-policing. And you don't have to, and I don't mean you confront that guy, but what you do do is you get up from your seat and you go find somebody, some security personnel, and you point that guy out or that woman out, and you say, hey, this person's out of control. This is what they're doing. I'm concerned that this is going to get out of control, and let them handle it. Maybe be a little bit preemptive here. You know the old thing, if you say something or if you see something, say something? That's what we've got to do a little bit, I think, in the stands. Look, most people, as I said, 99% of the people are great. They go to a game to enjoy themselves, and, yeah, they want to boo, and they should, you know, when you want to boo the opposing team. Absolutely. But there's a there's a distinct line between booing and assaulting. And if 99% of the people are okay and we police that other 1% and maybe we can stop some of this stuff from happening to begin with if we just say something. And I think that's the key here. We have to say something. And I think that, you know, the fans can maybe uh, help this process along. But, it you know, there, we're going to get to a point where, uh, you know, we can't not have fans and have professional sports at the level we're having. them. I mean, there's too much money to be made. If you don't have fans, I mean, they did it for a year because of the pandemic. But teams can't sustain that if you don't have ticket revenue, if you don't have concession revenue, if you don't have the parking revenue. Teams can't survive in any sport without fans, period. You know, so we have to figure this out. But we also have to, and if the NBA was smart here, and I don't know if they will, but if the NBA is smart here, they will look at what happened at the end of that game. And again, you can't blame anybody but the fan who threw the thing. But you can say, hey, Kyrie Irving could have instigated this. And if you are the NBA and you take a look at that film, at minimum, there needs to be a conversation between the NBA front office and Kyrie Irving and say, dude, don't ever freaking do that again because you are asking for it. Are you as dumb as you look? I mean, seriously. The NBA's got to, at minimum, pull him aside and say, don't ever do that again. Or they could send a stronger message and they could fine him for exacerbating the situation. And and by the way, and I'm not saying just pick on Kyrie. Maybe this has to be a, a league-wide mandate. And maybe it has to be in every sport. You don't 
disrespect the other team. If anybody goes out and you start stomping on logos and, you know, doing ridiculous things. I mean, we've seen in the NFL, like touchdown celebrations where somebody looks like they're, you know, lifting their leg on a, on a fire hydrant and peeing. Well, they've gotten fined for that in the NFL. Well, you know what? Maybe it should be one of those. You stomp on the logo, you're getting fined because it's disrespecting the other, your opponent. It's disrespecting the other team's fans. And you are trying, you are exacerbating an already tense situation. Maybe that is what needs to happen is the leagues need to make a, 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 uh, a mandate that we just don't do that, that there has to, if there has to be play a uh, uh, fan decorum, there has to be some player decorum as well. Doesn't there? I think so. 30 minutes past the hour. We got to take a break. I'm done with my rant. At least this one, I'm not promising I'm done for the day. Back in a minute. You're listening to the wake up call on sports country. It's 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Tuesday morning. Hope you all had a great holiday weekend. Uh, it, was, it was pretty much a washout here with Memorial Day weekend, and we had temperatures in the upper 40s and low 50s, so uh, not a lot of chance uh, to get outside this weekend, unfortunately. Uh, one other bad, uh, bad piece of news or disturbing piece of news, and then we'll leave it at that. Um, you probably saw over the weekend Marcel Ozuna, uh, who is on the injured list for the um, uh, Atlanta Braves right now with uh, two broken fingers uh, in an injury that happened against the Boston Red Sox, was arrested uh, for assaulting uh, his girlfriend or his wife. Um, to the point where it was uh, the police showed up, he had his hands around her throat. Uh, and it was one of those things where, you know, it started as a, as an argument and, you know, he, uh, he took both of her cell phones while she was in the shower and wouldn't give them back and, you know, accused him or accused her of cheating on him. And I mean, and it just, you, you know, how I mean, it just went downhill from there. Um, and, uh, he has, uh, been released on $20,000 bail. Uh, he, he ain't playing <laughs> for the Arizona I mean for the Atlanta Braves for the rest of the year. Uh, he's out for a month anyway with these broken fingers, but uh, I'm telling you right now with the uh, policy that Major League Baseball has in place, the investigation that they will do on this, he isn't playing the rest of the year. Uh, he just signed a four-year, $65 million deal with the Braves. Uh, now, what they probably can't do, they probably can't void his contract, uh, the Braves, if they wanted to, but uh, he is probably going to get suspended for at least the rest of this season. We've seen it happen uh, in recent years. Now, these two have a, a history. I mean, his wife was actually arrested for domestic battery once when uh, uh, she hit him in the face with a soap dish. <laughs> uh, I mean, they've got three kids. They've been married for 10 years. I mean, it's just, uh, just a mess. Uh, but you don't put your hands around a woman's throat and threaten to kill her, which is what he did. Uh, unbelievable. So that is the end of the, uh, well, the, the bad news. This is, and this isn't bad news, but it's, it's kind of sad. Nasomi, uh, Naomi Osaka has withdrawn from the French open and, uh, this, she cites anxiety and depression and, uh, you know, but here's the bottom line. She didn't want to do interviews. She, before the tournament started, she told 
the French Open and the Tennis Association, she was not going to do media interviews. And so they said, well, that's fine. We're going to fine you $15,000. And if you continue to do that, you could default. You could be thrown out of the tournament anyway. So she said, all right, fine, I'll just withdraw. And she cites anxiety. She said, you know, talking to the media makes her anxious. She said, I'm a very uh, introverted person. You know, you see a lot. I wear headphones uh, to, you know, to help my social anxiety. I'm not a natural public speaker, and so I get nervous. Look, she is the most highly paid female athlete in history. I repeat, in history. She's making more money for you know tournaments and endorsements than uh, people like Martina Navratilova or Chris Everett or anybody in the WNBA or any female athlete ever. Highest paid ever. Well, with that comes responsibility. Part of your job is to talk to the media. Period. So I hope that she gets some help. You know, if there, maybe she needs some therapy. I, I'm not trying to be, I'm not being glib here. I hope she gets the help that she needs because it's part of your job. If you are going to be the most highly paid athlete in the world or, in, or female athlete in the world, in history, you have a responsibility to talk to the media, to talk to the world. It's part of your job. And every tennis player, every golfer, every athlete recognizes that have we had a few over the years that are difficult with the press of course we have but you know this isn't about being cantankerous with the media this is just about not wanting to talk at all because you're nervous and she talked in an interview a couple of years ago and she called herself a product of the internet you know part of her generation is they're all on the internet and this is Part of the problem that we have today, Naomi Osaka is a byproduct of what we have reaped or what we have sown with social media. And, you know, how many, my worth is uh, how many Instagram followers I have or how many Twitter followers I have or how many friends I have on Facebook. That's how a lot of people uh, look at their worth. And so, and, and they don't want to, you know, my kids, you know, uh, would rather text somebody than call somebody, except me, unfortunately, they call me about three times a day, but my kids would much rather text. I asked them, you know, you got to get this settled. You got to do that. You got to do that. Have you done anything? Well, I texted them, pick up the phone and call somebody. They, you know, people today would rather text. They don't want to, you know, God forbid you, you, you make a phone call. Or God forbid you go talk to somebody in person. They'd rather text. And Naomi Osaka is exactly like that. And that's a problem. You know, she's not she's not the only one in, in America that has social anxiety. I guarantee you. Uh, I would say, you know, probably half the young people in America do because they're spending so much time on the damn computer that they don't want to talk to people anymore. Um, so if she needs therapy, whatever she needs to do to get herself healthy and to be okay, 
that's what she needs to do. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to jump on her for dropping out of the French Open. She obviously had decided she didn't want to do this, and you know, uh, she had talked. You know, the other, the problem with it is she had also talked about, uh, you know, uh, racism and sexism that she's had to deal with. It. Look, you know, look, that's. The, the, it's society today, and it's just you, you can – and she wants to run in and put her head in the sand. And that's her right to do that, but it's also the right of these tournaments and the tennis association to say, well, you know, if you're not going to do your job, then, you know, we don't have to let you play in our tournament. You know, and I hope that doesn't happen. She's a, she's very talented, and I, and I hope she gets the help that she needs. And, uh, you know, and, and – most of the uh, athletes around the world have tweeted out support, and I'm and I support you know her getting the help that she needs. But let's remember, you know, before we just say, "Oh, poor Naomi Osaka," she's making millions and millions and millions of dollars, and with that comes some responsibility and some accountability. And you know, you can't have one without the other, in my opinion. So if, if she needs therapy to to get over this social anxiety please get it because if you're going to expect to continue to make the kind of money that you make and can, and compete at the level that you do, there comes responsibility with that. Uh, you know, every other female in the world, uh, female tennis player has managed to do that. And you know, some of the other guys have spoken out. They, and, and they all recognize we have to talk to the press. We may not like it, but it's what we got to do. You know, Ash Barty, who's the number one ranked player in the world right now said, you know, I respect her right to take a stance, but I also know that this is my job. So uh, I hope, hopefully, uh, she's going to be okay. Um, boy, we haven't gotten to any baseball. We're going to talk about it briefly here, but I got also, I, you know what? Before we get to that, we'll do the, we'll do baseball at the end. We might as well finish up uh, <laughs> depressing news. The Bruins lost last night. Uh, a, a very exciting game, no question. They lose to the Islanders in overtime last night, four to three. A defensive mistake. Uh, Jeremy Luzon made a, a defensive mistake, and uh, uh, Casey Sezikis took advantage of it. Casey Sezikis had not scored a goal since April first. He hadn't scored a playoff goal since 2015. This guy is their fourth line center. He's not a scorer, but. Defensive mistake. He's it's one out. It's him and the goalie, one on none. Him and Tuka Rask, and he beat Rask uh, with about five minutes to go in the overtime period, and the Islanders managed to split the series in Boston. So they go back to Long Island for Thursday's game three, one game apiece, and it looked like the Islanders had this game under control. They had a three-one lead in the third period, and then the Bruins got hot. And the Bruins scored a couple of goals, tied it up. Patrice Bergeron with a huge goal in the third period. And uh, the Bruins had all the momentum. But then the overtime came, and the Islanders just took control of this game. The Islanders, at one point in the overtime, had outshot the Bruins like 10-2. to 2. You know, you just kind of felt this isn't going to go well. You know, I didn't expect it to be a defensive uh, lapse that would cost them. But at the end of the day... Uh, the Islanders were buzzing in that overtime period. So Sezikis with the big goal. Uh, and uh, Semyon Varlamov made the start in net last night. Uh, he'd started in place of uh, Ilya Sorokin, 
who had uh, started all of their wins in their first-round series against Pittsburgh, uh, Varlamov had not been very good in the playoffs in the games that he had appeared in. Uh, but last night, 39 saves. Tuka Rask made 38 for the Bruins, but uh, it was his 100th career playoff game. And by the way, Rask didn't look completely healthy last night. Somebody, you know, th- there's been some talk that he might have a bit of a uh, balky back and he looked at times last night like that back might be bothering him. There were a couple of times when he'd make a save, and he was very slow uh, to get up. So I wonder if perhaps he's not 100% healthy. You know, and he's, he's, he's alluded to that. He hasn't come right out and said what's going on. But he didn't look 100% healthy. So anyway, Thursday night's game, 7 o'clock, Uniondale, New York. Uh, I'm sure it is going to be... Absolutely uh, insane, you know. And by the way, sellout crowd last night in the Garden for the game. Uh, no issues with uh, water bottles or anything else being thrown. Uh, so uh, you know, take that for whatever it's worth. Um, other big game last night. How about the Montreal Canadiens? They were down in this series three games to one came all the way back, and they won Game 7 last night, 3-1, to one, to erase that deficit. And uh, it's the third time in franchise history that the Canadians have come back from 3-1 down in a series uh, to win. And by the way, Montreal now advances to the second round for the first time since 2015. Uh, so good for them. Uh, that's, uh, that's great. Uh, there is some talk now, by the way, that they are going to, uh, possibly allow some cross border, uh, play in the NHL. They're trying to figure out how they're going to do it because the Canadian border is essentially closed. Um, and, uh, will they be allowed to have teams come into Canada without having to quarantine for 14 days? You know, if they can work that out, and it might be a case of if an NHL team from North America goes into Canada, that they're going to have to uh, essentially be in a hotel and arena bubble. They're not going to be allowed. They're going to have to have all their meals and everything inside the hotel, not be allowed to go outside in public. There's a small percentage of the Canadian population that has been vaccinated. And they are being very, very cautious and good for them. Uh, but hopefully they can find a way to allow that because, you know, it, it really isn't fair to the Canadian teams left in this if they have to play on neutral ice in the United States uh, if, the, uh, if their government can't figure out a way to make this happen. So hopefully uh, they will allow that. Uh, it's 46 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about, well, Jesus, it's a depressing day. We're going to talk about an absolute disaster for the Red Sox yesterday. And... Uh, uh, if it's time to start worrying about their supposed uh, ace of their pitching staff. Back in a minute, you're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. So we might as well uh, continue with the gloom and doom broadcast here on a Tuesday. Uh, so the Red Sox lose yesterday to the Houston Astros. Look, that's not that in and of itself is not necessarily uh, huge news. I mean, the Astros are a good team. Uh, but what is concerning uh, is the fact that uh, Eduardo Rodriguez got the start for the Red Sox yesterday, uh, the guy that is supposed to be their ace, and gave up six runs, seven hits in four and two-thirds innings, threw over, uh, well, no, he threw 97 pitches. 
Um, and the fact that uh, he can't throw the ball by anybody anymore, and it's been batting practice his last few outings. This is a guy who, you know, look, he missed all of last year with myocarditis, but he made four starts in April. All right, he was 4-0 and with a 3-5-2 ERA and 26 strikeouts and just two walks in the month of April. He looked like the old Rodriguez. Now, May came, and it has been hideous. Yeah, I mean, he has made, there's no other way to put it. He has made six starts in the month of April, and it has been a mess. Uh, the walks are up. The hits are up. He's allowed eight home runs in 52 innings this year. He's allowed 63 hits in 52 and two-thirds innings. Uh, his walks and hits to innings pitch is about almost one and a half. Uh, you know, uh, in yesterday's game, he got, uh, I think, two swings and misses the entire game. You know, that's a problem. Uh, and, you know, Alex Cora is uh, is trying to keep his guy pumped up, trying to make the best of it, uh, has said, you know, look, you know, he's, he's close, you know, and I told him today, you keep throwing like you're doing, we make one more adjustment and you're, you're going to be fine. But you have to wonder, you know, if there's something going on here, if, if fatigue is an issue, if, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know, but I know this. This is the worst stretch of his entire career by, by a lot. And if the Red Sox are going to continue to hang in this race, they need him to be the ace. They need him to be able to give them six, seven innings. They need him to give up just a couple of runs a game. They need him to keep them in games. You know, and it was so bad yesterday that, you know, they brought Colton Brewer out of the bullpen and he gave up some runs. And then after that, it was, you know, let's just get out of here. You know, Valdez threw a couple of innings and Matt Andrees came in and, you know, uh, you know, and the Red Sox bullpen had been good, but Colton Brewer just got called up and geez, he couldn't, he couldn't throw a strike. He couldn't find home plate with a compass. It was bad. Uh, you know, it didn't help that, you know, one of the hits and, you know, I guess you got to take this into consideration. One of the hits that the home run that he gave up was to Jose Altuve. Uh, that was like a pop fly. It would have been out of only one other ballpark in major league baseball. And that's in Tampa. I mean, honest to God, it was, uh, you know, it, it snuck around the foul pole in the Crawford boxes. It's a really short porch to left. It wouldn't have been out of Fenway. It would have been a can of corn. It would have been an out or at worst off the scrape the wall. But according to uh, MLB uh, stats, they said it would have only go- the only other ballpark it would have gone out of is Tampa. You know, so you can say, all right, well, you know, that's a, a couple two run home run he gave up. Maybe he's a little bit unlucky, and you know, there wasn't you know there were a couple other hits he gave up that weren't he was they weren't exactly tearing the cover off the ball, but they were finding holes. And and if it was just yesterday, you'd say, eh, you know, it was just one of those days, but. You know, it's a pattern for the entire month where it has gone progressively south. You know, you would like, you know, you can see a couple of bad outings, but you'd like to see some progress. And we did not see any progress, you know, other than maybe his velocity, you know, and that's the thing, you know, his velocity yesterday is still 94, 95. It wasn't like he was throwing 90. So I don't think it's arm fatigue. I just, I, I just wonder if, 
if it's just a bad stretch or if there's something else going on that as the Red Sox you need to be concerned about. You know, offensively yesterday, look, Jose Arquiti, who had just come off the disabled list, uh, was ridiculous. He was really good. He made the Red Sox look silly. Gave up just three hits, struck out nine in six innings. Uh, J.D. Martinez went down swinging twice, and he's, you know, he, he got Rafi Devers to strike out on a ball that was right down the middle of the plate. Devers struck out three times in three at-bats. You know, it was, he was, uh, you know, showing that I, you know, uh, that rest he had when he was on the injured list <laughs> did him some good. I mean, the Red Sox only managed uh, five hits in the game. You know, two of them by Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro was like the lone bright spot offensively yesterday. And Hunter Renfro had himself a heck of a May. Uh, hit over 300 in May. Uh, he's now got seven home runs on the season. He hit another one yesterday. He's hitting 258 on the season. So, I mean, the good news, I guess, if you're Boston is maybe this is another guy that can be reliable that you can put in with your, you know, your core group of Verdugo and JD and Bogarts endeavors, the guys that have been hitting the ball consistently, uh, Renfro for the last month has been tearing the cover off the ball. So if he continues that, you got to like uh, the Red Sox chances. Uh, now the Red Sox look, they got to win today. Now Garrett Richards is going to pitch and they need him. Uh, look, you know, and he's one of those guys that he keeps finding ways you know, just like Nick Pavetta, but you just kind of scratch your head and like, how the how the hell are they doing this? Uh, but the Red Sox, you know, right now find themselves two games behind Tampa because Tampa just, I think Tampa has forgotten how to lose a baseball game. It's unbelievable. Uh, they won again yesterday. They beat the Yankees 3-1. And the Rays have won 16 of the last 17 games. 16 of the last 17 games. They have owned the Yankees this year. They've already played the Yankees 10 times, and they are 7-3 and three against New York. Uh, Rich Hill, five shutout innings yesterday, 41 years old, didn't throw one pitch that broke 90 miles an hour. But he is 3-0 and against the Yankees this year with an ERA of 2.04. That's unreal. So they've won five in a row, 16 of 17. They're 35 and 20. They've got a two-game lead over the Red Sox, five and a half over the Yankees, six and a half over Toronto. You know, and it's one of those teams where, you know, you look at them and you go, how the hell are they doing this? Honestly. You know, I mean, you look at their lineup and it's like, how you know, they're not, they're not going to score a ton of runs, but their pitching has been uh, otherworldly. And by the way, uh, Hill became just the fifth pitcher who's 41 years old old or older to lead the, the league in ERA for a month. And no one has done that at his age since Roger Clemens did it in May of 2005 when he was 42 years old. So it's been a while. I mean, the other people that did it, Nolan Ryan did it uh, when he was 44 and 45. Satchel Page did it once, Hoyt Wilhelm. I mean, you're, you you got to go back a long, long way to find a guy that has done what Rich Hill is doing. Uh, Tyler Glass now, their ace is going to start today for the Rays against the Yankees. Domingo Herman will get the start uh, for the Yankees. Yankees are close to getting some help back. Luis Severino uh, started a rehab assignment for their Tampa club. Uh, Zach Britton is going to make his second rehab appearance on Tuesday. He is probably pretty close to coming back. But, man, I'll tell you what, they are going to have a hard time keeping up with this Rays team if they continue to pitch the way that they're pitching. Uh, quickly, the Mets won yesterday. Jacob DeGrom 
late last night beat the Arizona Diamondbacks, an absolutely awful Diamondbacks team that went 5-24 and in the month of May. How'd you like to be a Diamondbacks fan? Uh, but uh, first start since uh, coming off the IL, DeGrom uh, allowed two hits, struck out eight, uh, walked none. Lowered his ERA to 0.71. So uh, Mets still in first place. Again, smoke and mirrors with all their injuries. It's unbelievable that they've been able to continue to do that. That's going to do it for us here this morning. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We're going to leave you this morning with some music uh, from B.J. Thomas. B.J. Thomas uh, died over the weekend at the age of 78 from uh, lung cancer uh, and uh, had some great hits, and this is probably the one that he will be best remembered for. So as we leave today, we'll remember B.J. Thomas uh, and a little raindrops keep falling on my head. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.